Welcome to an industry in transition, the must listen to podcast for financial advisors and industry leaders from Tony Siriani, the CEO and publisher of Advisor Hub, where we explore the week's news and events and put our ever-changing business into perspective. Tony is joined each week by industry leaders, mavericks, and disruptors who give their take on our industry and their thoughts on where we are headed. If you want to remain relevant, you can't miss it. Now, here's your host, Tony Siriani. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Tony Siriani Podcast. This is our market update section. This has been a lot of fun talking to both Paul and Art So from B. Riley, and I just want to say thanks again for being on the show. Uh, love having you guys here. And so uh, you're welcome. You're welcome. And Art's in one of my favorite places, uh, Nantucket, and Paul's in my other favorite place, Middleburg, so that you're both, I'm tuned into where you are, so just FYI. Um we have lots to talk about. I mean, we, we've been going over sort of soft landing or a hard landing. What you know, what is it going to be? Uh, we seem to have more information now, so I kind of want to know, uh, you know, what you guys are, are thinking. Just just briefly, are you still in your position? I'm Paul. You were for hard landing. Art, you were for soft. So, Paul, you go first. No, I, it's um, I. One of the things that I think um, investors have to know is that you can have a relatively shallow um, recession and still have a big drop in the stock market. And I've, I've always equated a soft landing with not really a recession. Uh, there's no question we're going into a recession. All the leading economic indicators and uh, the yield curve, uh, all of them seem to suggest now uh, that we will be going into the recession formally in the in the second quarter of this year, sometime in April or May. Um, but uh, I actually think that because of the employment situation, that we're going to have a rather shallow recession, meaning that we may have GDP negative growth, you know, yeah. 0 0.2 to 0.4%, which isn't bad. But if you look at previous uh, recessions, uh, 2001 and 2002, uh, the, the, that recession was a very, very shallow recession. Uh, and yet the market went down 49%. The S&P went down 49%. In 73 and 75, uh, which I think is the closest to what we're going through now because it had the global inflation, as well as a lot of massive printing of money, um, the the market the GDP negative growth was was very low, um, but the market went down forty four percent. So investors shouldn't think because we're have going to have a shallow recession that we won't see a big drop in the stock market. All right, Art. Yeah, I would tell you, you know, I I agree with Paul uh, in so much as he talks about the strength of the labor market. And I think that when we um, think about what could either, you know, keep this recession or the soft landing short in duration, I think the strength of the labor market is one very important piece of it. But I think when you try to find a perfect analog to what's going on in 2023, I think it's virtually <clears throat> impossible to go back to, you know, let's say 73 through 75, where we had inflation embedded in expectations and the Fed had to raise rates to 20%. I think we're at a different place in, in the here and now. And if you go back to 2021, 22, that's the end of a dot-com bubble. So obviously the 
after effects is from you, you fall a lot further when you've gone too far too fast. So I think we're at a different place now. We entered last year with a multiple on the SP 500 about 22 times. We exited the year at 17 and a half times. So we're actually at a much more rational place in valuations, working our way through the earnings reporting season. We haven't breached 18 times on a forward basis. So I think that we're reasonably priced coming into what is likely going to be an economic slowdown. And I think that that tamps down how much damage there is to markets. So uh, you both mentioned um, this sort of unique place that the employment market has, right? So there's a reading this morning, there's 10 and a half million open jobs. But the other thing I read every day is layoffs. You know what I mean? And then there's, you know, there's jobs and there's jobs. There's, you know, a lot of part-time workers that, that had part-time jobs and they can't get the hours. And so the paychecks are down. Uh, and I also want to relate this to, some of the sort of new age thinking of quiet quitting and all that. I want to work from home. There's, there's, there were weird pressures on the the job market that maybe, you know, weren't there. So if, if you guys could talk a little bit about uh, jobs and why we're seeing layoffs and hearing about layoffs and maybe slower and at the same time hearing there's so many jobs available, what's the, the issue there? I'll take the first uh, one. Uh, I, I, yeah. I think that the, um, Primarily, technology companies have announced the largest uh, bolus of the, of the of layoffs, and, and and that number, if you go back to the middle of summer all the way through last week, is north of 100,000 jobs, which sounds an awful like an awful lot, except until you go back and say, well, how much did they hire between 20 and 22? Massive overhiring across the board. Whether you look at a company like Amazon that had 600,000 employees back in 2018, exited 21 with 1.6 million employees, so it's just just massive overhiring at that point in time when they just didn't know how long this lockdown and pandemic was going to be. So what we're really seeing in technology companies is a right sizing of the of, of the uh, of their employment base for what we expect the the economic demands on their companies will be. I think that's important. I think that but the, the point you brought up about jolts is also important. We need that to come down. And that's why we're not seeing all these layoffs that are being announced showing up in the weekly jobless claims because there's still open jobs. Can imagine if you and I were running a small and medium business and we've always wanted a great engineer, a software, uh, a coder, a software salesman, et cetera, but we couldn't compete with the likes of Google and Facebook and Apple and Amazon. And, and then these people become available. We're gonna take them into our small and medium business at the very same time, companies like uh, Alphabet or Google are giving very, very generous severance packages. So you're, you're getting fired, but then you get six to eight weeks of severance. So you don't show up in the unemployment. I think that's going to start to show up. And I think that's important. That's one of the things that the Fed points to all the time. There's too many jobs available. So, so Paul, there's also in the finance industry, people are, are starting to lay people off. I mean, I feel badly. Some of these poor CEOs are only making like 25 million this year. I mean, they're, they're, really, they're really taking on the chin for everybody. <laughs> Yeah, they're not getting any of their bonuses. Yeah, it, you know, basically you got to put this in perspective. You are seeing a lot of layoffs, but they are tiny compared to the 10.5 million jobs. I agree with Art. No, so 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 the, so to, the, to your point then of a, a sort of hardish, you know, landing tougher recession, even if it's shallow. Um, what? How, how does sort of this almost full employment that we have? How does that relate? To, to it. I mean, how, how is that going to work? How are you going to ever, I mean, can you have a full employment recession or a recession where, where there's so many jobs available? And what kind of pressure does that, or is there an inverse pressure? Again, again, we've had this before. Uh, in 73 and 75, uh, for eight months into that recession, uh, uh, employment continued to go up. And so, but 
one of the things you got to take into effect, and and this is something that you know a lot of people uh, don't, is is the inflation. It, is that inflation is still higher than wage growth, and what happens uh, is that people feel like they're moving backwards, even if they have a job and even if they're spending. Uh, they they're they're spending more on on their credit card uh, interests. They're spending more on mortgages. All of these things, and what's happening is uh, they're slowing their spending. And we saw that dramatically uh, in some of the recent reports, especially for December. Is that you can have a slowing economy even though people are actually working, and it's the slowing economy that causes a recession. Yeah. And then, so these, uh, you know, 10 and a half million, million uh, jobs that are sort of out there, uh, if you have one uh, and you still have to pay all this extra money for eggs now or whatever it is, you're, 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 you're still going to feel it. And that, that should have a downward pressure, you know, as well. So, all right, as this, you know, recession, as you see it, you know, that comes up, how long would something like that last if it's sort of shallow? And I mean, we're all sort of in agreement, maybe that this is coming or we're in it maybe already. Um, would that 10 and a half million, million jobs kind of stay there and be sort of, that's the exit, we, we come out of it with it? Or does that apply a different kind of pressure uh, in your mind? No, and I think that the, the Fed has brought this up in the last three meetings, that that number or that ratio of jobs available uh, as, as a percentage of people looking for jobs needs to come down. It's it got as high as two jobs for every person looking for one that we're now down to 1.75 jobs for everybody looking for one before the pandemic we were at 1.2 so and that's kind of the normal level so i think what you're going to see is jolts comes down first weekly jobless claims comes up next and then you'll see what's important the non-farm payroll numbers or the monthly jobless numbers start to come down and 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 then we start seeing 125 to 150,000 jobs created every month as opposed to the beginning of last year it was 450 and in the end of last year, the final quarter, we averaged 250. So we're heading in the right direction. It's just painfully slow because the labor market is so robust. Do you guys spend any time thinking about what sort of, um, I mean, everyone beats these poor millennials up day and night, but do you spend any time thinking about what is supposed to be new work, right? I'm going to work from home. I'm not going to be, and then what effect that has on the cities and the economies of those cities to, uh, I'm only working four days a week. I'm not going to work the fifth day. I mean, obviously when, when you start changing the labor dynamic, that, that goes more in favor of employers now, but do you see that having a long-term uh, negative effect or people, there's also that idea of quiet quitting and people, I'm not interested in advancing. You know what I mean? That seems to be a, is that just a, a poof or you think that, that there's some reality to that? Well, I would tell you this, if you look at the millennial generation, the peak of that generation, the peak of household formation is happening right now. And it's 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 this year and the age is 33. So that's when you sort of start household formation. That's the peak of this huge uh, bolus of population right now that's called the millennials. And, and they get, you know, a lot of poo-poo, as you mentioned, for, you know, sort of quiet quitting or, you know, actually wanting to work from home and all sorts of things that have happened over the last couple of years. But here's what happens in reality. Household formation means <clears throat> you move out of your parents' basement, get a girlfriend who becomes your wife, you start to have kids, you buy a home, and you become a, you know, a, a very important part of the U.S. economy. All of that, you know, all those things that you did before then sort of wash away pretty quickly. We've seen that in every generation, whether it was, you know, Gen X, we're going to see it with millennials, we're going to see it with Gen Z. And I think, you know, it's just that household formation starting, and that's really starting in earnest. I think that's one of the things that's really underpinning a lot of the, of the housing market right now. 
But, you know, Paul, with, with the tech companies and things like that, we saw an acquiescence to this. Oh, yeah, sure, you can work from home. Oh, yeah, we'll do this. You know, there, there was a lot of, you know, I can't imagine my boss <laughs> start telling you, go to work from home. You know, that would have been, he couldn't smack me. I don't think that's against the law, but there would have been like in a, you know, it depends. delay. It depends. Um, we found uh, in, at B. Riley that uh, we were more productive um, while people were working at homes. People, instead of, they started working when they used to get on their train to, you know, go an hour into Manhattan. Um, and so we found that the productivity was up. Now, there are only certain industries that can measure that kind of productivity. You can't do that in government. You can't do that in certain other places. But certainly in uh, certain aspects of the financial services and in all aspects of tech, you know, you can code from anywhere and you can actually see whether these people are productive or not. And that's going to be the key. Um, I mean, companies that can't show productivity, they're going to bring people back in to workplaces. Just, you know, ultimately, I, I just feel like it's unfair. I have I have kids that are 27, 29, you may also are, but, uh, you know, 25, 24 going into the workforce. And it's just very difficult to not have mentors or not to be in an office, not to not to be able to go to a business lunch and see what that's all about, not to have somebody to talk to, to ask questions. It's just, it's just harder for them. I know they feel like they like to work from home, but I think it's harder. All right. Housing boom, housing bust, housing, everything aren't, you know, what, it's obviously a big, but people's portfolios is important, right? Having a job is important. We sort of touched on on, on those, but then comes the, you know, of course their health, but their housing, you know, so that's, that's a big part of what people worry about. What, what are you seeing out there? Yeah, you know, what's amazing is if you look at the, the, the new data, the data we've seen since July in terms of housing. So prices have come down pretty significantly. That won't show up in a CPI and a PPI for several months. But in, in real life, what we're starting to see is, is an interesting dynamic. And, and I, I think we can all agree that, <clears throat> obviously, if you're able to get a mortgage at or about 2 2.5%, 3% for the last 10 years, you feel great about it. But that's not normal, right? And then mortgages got all the way back up to close to 7% in some areas. And now it's started to tick down. And if you look at the weekly mortgage apps for the last three weeks, we've seen an increase of 25%. I think demand is, on a relative basis, is starting to pick up significantly. And I just talked about that millennial generation, that first-time home buyer that has pent-up demand, and we're undersupplied. So I don't think what we're going to go through is a housing crash. As a matter of fact, I would make an argument that the recovery is already starting in that sector. That was the first sector to go into its recession. And I think it's going to be the first sector to come out of its recession for some pretty obvious reasons. But we've underbuilt single-family homes in this country since the great financial crisis. And, and, and you know, again, more de demand than there is supply. The, the, the actual pricing is going to get to the right level. But I, I certainly think the housing industry in and of itself is in pretty good shape. If you look at the home builder sentiment that just came out last week, first time we've seen it be positive in a year. And if you look at the home building stocks, they've, they've actually had a significant move over the last two months, up 25%. Uh, Paul, what do you think about uh, housing right now? Yeah, I, I agree with Art. Um, one of the things I always find interesting is, uh, is that uh, with already existing homes, not, not new homes, yeah. but already existing homes, that the prices really haven't come down uh, all that much. And the thing is, you can see that there's no sales, but the the owner actually puts the price in and and they're just saying well I've I've got a mortgage at three percent and right. 
If I don't sell, I'll sell in a year, you know, when we're out of this recession. And uh, so I, I don't see that as, um, and I, I agree with Art that that will be one of the first uh, industries that comes back uh, uh, after the So in, in terms of, in terms of, of a recession, I mean, you know, I, I guess we're keeping our jobs and our, our houses may end up being worth more, you know, or at least if you were lucky enough to do a mortgage, you know, a couple of years ago, you're, you're feeling that that's a, that's an asset that's got a good return for you right, right, right now. So does that, do both of those things help counter consumer inflation and, and the fact that, you know, the make it, does it make it a softer landing? Well, I can tell you this, the, the way I would look at that is, you know, how you define recession and who it affects the most. And I think there's a possibility that we have much more of a corporate recession than we do a consumer recession. And to the points that you make, so the stability in your, in your house price and the fact that you've got a job or you can get a job if you need one are the backbones of consumer confidence, right? But the flip side of that is overall demand, especially from the enterprise in terms of spending, we saw that with all the software companies, including Microsoft and certainly Intel last week, but the corporate spend, the enterprise spend may well have already entered a significant slowdown that you would actually, you know, call a recession. So you actually may have a consumer that's about two thirds of the GDP actually weather the storm a whole lot better than corporate America does. And I think that's okay. And I think that that's the way I look at this. You know, that's the way I would define the soft landing where the consumer actually ends up being okay, but earnings come down on a year over year basis. So Paul, earnings coming down, that, that can't be good for stocks, right? And then uh, Art didn't didn't really factor inflation in to that so much. So what do you, are you still pro hard uh, landing? I don't believe in a hard landing. I think this is going to be a recession, but it's going to be a shallow recession. I think when most people talk about soft landings, although I haven't always gotten a a perfect definition of that from people who talk about it. But I think they're they're thinking that there's going to be no negative GDP growth for two quarters. And I, I don't believe that's going to happen at all. Uh, and also, if you start looking at the leading economic indicators of new orders, and we saw them just drop off precipitously uh, in uh, in December, new orders for manufacturing were really down. New orders for consumer, and this is where I disagree with Art on the consumer, uh, was really down. Inventories are up. That basically made the GDP look a lot better, but that's not good because they didn't sell that inventory uh, in the last quarter. And so uh, what you have is a, a slowing and because of inflation being higher than the wage growth, and it I think it will, con you'll continue to feel that inflation. Even if it stays the same as it is right now, you'll continue to feel it and people will feel like they're going backwards and that will make them so, not spend. So I, I, the, the only other thing, I know Paul, you, you, you talk about the international stuff a lot. It also seems like, you know, I've always thought art that China was kind of, a, you know, uh, a fagazi, right? It's just who knows what their their the metrics are, the graph, the corruption, you know, all, all that stuff. But there's now that it's sort of consolidated into a one-party state, right? There's only one school of thought that you can have. And uh, you know, it's top down on the chips. I mean, there was another article in the journal today about you know how how soul crushing there's no innovation in China because of the way they sort of build their stuff. So 
Uh, just I'll ask both of you, but, you know, um, are you first about China? And, you know, that's sort of the competitor of ours, right? That's also a wild card in terms of a political thing that could sort of screw up the whole any kind of landing. Right. So where where, where do you where do you see that? And this will be our last question. So we'll let you sure. I'll, tell, I'll tell you the uh, positive on, on the one hand and the negative on the other. Positive, very important. China for three years had a zero COVID policy they just got rid of. So China is actually reopening in earnest. They just went through their two week national holiday and, and obviously COVID's uh, uh, cases have spiked, but their demand for goods and services in the global economy is going to be back in earnest in the first quarter of this year. That has been missing or spotty. Their manufacturing of the goods that we need is going to be back in earnest. That recovery has been very spotty. So a, a, a reopen China, truly a positive for global demand for goods and services. And, and I think that's the positive. The negative is demographics in China are abysmal and, and their actual population will be smaller than India's by the end of the decade. They're fighting a they're fighting a losing battle that way. So that, that was that whole one one child policy and all that. Now, right. now they're, they're old, right? So you're right, right. And 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 that's going to be very difficult for them to orchestrate that kind of six percent GDP growth rate that they have in all of their targets. But I think in the very short term, for the next two years, the fact that China is going to be opened in earnest, it's been it's been a very spotty rollout of reopening China for the last three years is is a net positive for the global economy. So, Paul, all that being said, hard, hard to disagree with you, those, those points, but at the same time, um, it, it, it's a kind I mean, can you trust what they say <laughs> about where, where they are or where, where some of the industries are? I mean, they had this real estate thing. Who knows what really happened with that? You well, know, I mean, that is that's a real concern is the real estate uh, in China and uh, the possibility of it of that. I mean, what they do over there is that they sell the condo before they build the building. And so most of the pe most of the people, it's the it's the average person who's going to lose the money because they're just not building these things that they've sold and they're going bankrupt. It's uh, it's a real problem for the consumers uh, over there. And I don't under, you know, there have been studies about this. Nobody knows how they're going to fix this, but it's the one big risk factor uh, out there. The, the second thing is, is that as they uh, have to buy commodities again, and we are seeing commodities prices going up, uh, uh, that's, going, that's going to lead to a certain amount of global inflation that we're going to get because, you know, copper prices are the same here as they are in the rest of the world. Same way with oil. Uh, oil could is already starting to go up. And what happens uh, with commodity prices going up and oil prices going up? And I don't know when that filters into our uh, inflation, but I'm thinking in the next two months, we may see some upticks in inflation, not what we've seen over the last six months of, of inflation going down. Uh, so it has... I agree with everything that Art said, uh, but I do think this is going to cause more inflation. Uh, I don't really see how it's going to help the U.S. if we're slowing our spending as consumers and and, um, and manufacturing seems to be doing. Uh, it's it's going to help China, but I don't know that anything other than seeing more inflation here in the United States and higher commodity prices. Uh, that it, it it may have a negative effect here in the U.S. and in Europe. 
Art, you look like you want to say one more thing, Art, before. <laughs> yeah, I just it's every silver lining has a cloud, I guess, in some places. <laughs> so it's, it's when I look at it is we, you know, we were concerned about China not having their demand for our goods and services globally for the last three years. All of a sudden we're getting it. And the first thing we're gonna be concerned about is that might be mildly inflationary. Our supply chains are just now getting back online. And I think all the things that we need from China and our symbiotic relationship are going to be back. I, I, I think the net net is a positive, at least for the first couple of years. I you know, don't disagree with what, Paul, in terms of pricing, I think this puts a floor in what otherwise was a deteriorating commodities market. We saw a significant fall off in energy prices and the industrial metals. I think this puts a floor in. I don't know if we're going to have a re-escalation if it's just China getting back in the commodities market. Great. All right, gentlemen, uh, this has been a, a great call. I'm lo looking forward to uh, doing it again. And I know that, uh, you know, uh, speaking for the advisors, they appreciate your candor and your help on, on sort of sorting out some of these things. So thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on An Industry in Transition. Make sure to visit our website, www.advisorhub.com, and subscribe to Advisor Hub. It's free, and you won't miss any advisor news or events. While you're on site, check out all the podcasts available. Click on the Deals Pages and Resources tab for valuable content, or check out the Markets section with its guru predictions, latest fintech offerings, you name it. Feel free to email Tony Seriani about specific questions we can address on the show. He can be reached by email at contact at advisorhub.com. Please note that all requests and questions are handled with complete discretion and confidentiality. Thank you for listening, and be sure to tune in next week for the next Industry in Transition episode.